I'm not supposed to be stuck. Seized. Disconnected. Lifeless. I was made for more than this. Not to stay, but to be restored by the one who designed me. Refined and renewed as he does his work. And then to be driven by a force, alive and connected to those around me, and working for something greater, propelling each other forward in motion, living rust-free and keeping speed, to be part of something bigger as I live out my purpose. I was made for this. I was made to grow. She used to love attending church. She and her husband would sit in a specific part of the auditorium with their small group, their community group, their life group. And they did this week after week. And then, then they started having kids. And you guys know the deal. You start having kids and your life goes like this. After a few years, because of all the stuff going on in their lives, well, that week to week church attendance started being more like every few months, and then they became the infamous Christers. Christmas and Easter was the only time they came to church. And, and she had said, you know, the weekends are so hard for us. We work during the week. We got a family, and, and it's, it's our time where we can just chill out. And then she said, but the hard thing is for me right now is I feel so far from God. I feel like I've been drifting in my faith, and I just feel in a word, empty. I met with this young man over and over for quite some time. He had crossed the line of faith, and I kept on inviting him, come back to church, man, come or come into church. And he said, Kip, I'm not going to church. Church is full of hypocrites, and they just want my money. And I said, dude, I'm with you. The church is full of hypocrites, and I'm one of them. I'm a pastor at one of them. And, and, and we should cheer God on that he trusts his church to imperfect people. He's like, nope, I'm not doing it. In fact, I can worship God anywhere I want. And I said, that's true. He said, I can worship him on my motorcycle, on my boat. I am not coming to church. Well, when COVID hit, this, this, this virus freaked out this young lady. She was convinced that she was going to get it and that she was going to die. So she decided to hunker down. Her job allowed her to work remotely. She learned Microsoft Teams. She learned everything about Zoom. And she was watching us online and other churches online. And it went well for a few months. And then after a time, she started feeling really lonely. In fact, to the point where uh, there, there was a point where her anxiety levels were extremely high, her level of loneliness extremely high, and, and her negativity was through the roof, and she just screamed out to God, God, I am so lonely. Three people, three stories, all with a common theme, and that common theme is an isolation from this thing that we call the gathering. You know, when God created, he said, let. He said, let there be light, and there's light. Let there be animals that creep along the ground, and there were animals that creeped along the ground. But when it came to people, he said, let us make them in our own image. Let us. And he wasn't talking to the angels. It's, it's a snapshot of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father revealed by the Son whom we get to experience through the Holy Spirit. Let us. And God says it's not good for man to be alone. 
I was talking to our director of disciple making, Julie Pitch, and she's just been studying and studying and studying over the past couple of years about really how we can do better here at Cornwall to make disciples. And she said, Kip, it's, it, I know it's, it's a cliche that Christianity is a team sport, but it's just so true that we grow well together. Have you ever considered that your growth as a disciple of Jesus Christ can happen in many ways, but one specific area is being committed to the gathering. This right here, what we do, whether it's here, online, a mixture of the two, such as what we're going to talk about today. In fact, if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. When you miss church, you miss more than you think. When you miss church, you miss more than you think. So the opposite of that is true then. When you show up to church, God does amazing things because God is on the move here at the Wall of Corn, Cornwall Church. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we hit week three of our series called Growing. It's in this series in which we're looking at seven foundational aspects, fundamental aspects of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Seven things that we're hanging our hats on as shown by this diagram here. Pastor Bob kicked it off in week one. Love God, love others. Having Christ at the center of our lives. Last week, I got the honor and pleasure to talk about what it means to have a prayer life. A prayer life individually, but also a prayer life as a group. I talked about the cost of discipleship because there is a cost to being a disciple. This week I get the honor and pleasure to talk about this thing called coming to church. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Actually this week and next week, Pastor Brian next week is going to be talking about the smaller gatherings of growing in community. So we're going to be hanging out in two chunks of scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, Psalm 95, turn to Hebrews 10, let me set the scene for what's going on. I always, always, always want to go back 2,000 years and some change ago to that time when Jesus goes to the cross, he dies and he's resurrected, the most important date in the history of mankind. From that time, fast forward 50 days. 50 days is a Jewish holiday called Pentecost, and that's when Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit onto the disciples and thus begins the, the, the seeds of the church. Now, the disciples weren't planning on starting a church. What they were planning on doing and what they did is they were preaching and teaching to the Jewish people saying that Jesus completes Judaism. So they, they ended up going into downtown Jerusalem. They rented this huge town hall type place. They set up a stage. They had three songs on the front side. They would have Mary Magdalene come up and she'd do some announcements. Peter, James, or John would, would give a great sermon. They'd do a closing song and then they'd be done for the week. Okay, that's not really what happened. They, they actually rented rooms all around town. They had different things that they called campuses. They had the Dungate campus. They had the Mount of Olives campus. They had the Golgotha Recovery and Support Group. Okay, they didn't do that. They went to the temple every day. These Christians, and they weren't called Christians at that time, but they were Christ followers, would go to the temple to preach and teach about Jesus because they felt that Jesus completed the Jewish faith. And of course, that upset the Jewish leadership, so they were kicked out of the temple and they were scattered. Here's the thing about it. When they were scattered, this thing called the church starts, and, and the more the church was persecuted, the more the church grew. Folks, that's important for us because you cannot destroy a church. You can destroy a church building, but you, it's physically impossible to destroy God's church, and we need to always celebrate that. You cannot destroy God's church. So fast forward 30 years from the time of Pentecost, and these Jewish converts to Christianity were having a really difficult time. There were some, uh, some teachers who were teaching some false teaching. They were saying, hey, if you really want to be saved, you, you still need to 
follow the laws of Moses, oh, and have Jesus too. For you men, you better be circumcised, oh, and have Jesus too. And so at some point, an unknown writer who writes this letter to the people, the Jewish people who had converted to Christianity, the letter is called Hebrews. And in the letter of Hebrews, what he's trying to do is present the sufficiency and superiority of Jesus over the Mosaic law. He's saying, listen, you don't need any more of these crazy sacrifices. You don't need a high priest because Jesus is now our ultimate high priest. And for you men, if you want to get circumcised, good on you, but you don't have to do that. And all the men of that time screamed amen and hallelujah. So right before our passage today, the Hebrew writer talks about how you have to hold on to this new faith that you have, how you have to persevere in times of division, in times of ugliness, and how you have to encourage each other. And no matter what, don't stop coming to church. That's what he says all before this. Hebrews 10, we're gonna get verses 19 through 25. Let's kick off with 19 and 20. Remember our main thought, when you miss church, you miss more than you think. But when you come to church, God shows up in a huge way in your life. Here we go. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Okay, hang on. That's just a lot of stuff. The Jewish audience that he's writing to, uh, they would get everything going on. But let's talk about a couple things in there because it's just kind of weird. We start talking about this most holy place. In the Jewish temple, there was a small area called the, the, the most holy place. And one day out of the year, the high priest, the top dog of all Judaism, would go in there on the day, atonement, uh, day of atonement uh, to, to <clears throat> make sacrifices for the Jewish people, for the nation's sin. And he would go in there. It was, it was separated by this huge curtain that was 60 feet tall, four inches thick. And when Jesus goes to the cross, when he dies, right when he cries, uh, dies, God splits the veil from top to bottom. It was something that only God could do. No man could do that. And so what the writer here is saying is we've got the opportunity because of Jesus' death on the cross, we can approach a holy God without fear, that we can come now to God anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but also we can come to him as a group. Let's keep on going, verses 21 and 22. And since we have a great priest, that's Jesus, over the house of God, look at this, look at this. Let us draw near to God. Underline that circle, it highlighted in your Bibles, put stars around it. Let us draw near to God, let us. We're gonna see 10 times today that God is saying let us us. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So he starts talking about let us. He's talking, we can individually go to God, but let's do this together too. And then he says some weird things about, uh, about being cleansed and all that good stuff. Again, the Jewish audience would understand this because what would happen on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, top dog of all Judaism, would go up to the temple and he'd take a shower in front of everybody, but he'd have a covering. They would have this big white screen in front of him and he would, would shower from head to foot. He would have to get anything unclean off of his body. While that's going on, he's also confessing his sins. He's trying to have clean thoughts, a clean heart. And all of that's going on in his mind. So when he steps in to the most holy place, he's got a rope on his foot with a bell on it. And somebody's holding that rope because if he was messed up in any area, God would zap him and he'd be dead and they'd have to pull him out. 
And so he says, let us draw near to God. We don't have to worry about that anymore because the veil's been torn. We can come together collectively to come to God. And sometimes that can be really hard. And some of you get what I'm talking about here when you've done something stupid that week or the night before church and you're like, I can't come to God. I got to clean myself up. It'll be a while before I can come back. Or you have fear, fear of your past and that past may only be a couple hours old. And you're like, I can't come to God. I can't draw near to God. And God's saying, come on in, come on in. My church is not a hospice for dead people. It's a hospital where you're going to get well. Let me scatter your shame because God is so good about doing that. So he says we can boldly enter God's presence. With 100% confidence, we can enter God's presence. And that's called worship. It's called worship, and worship is about God. Worship is about God. It's not about us. Worship, we get this word worship. It's an old English word. Old English is like, I mean, talk like 1,500 years ago. Old English is just weird. It's not like, Digby, old boy, let's go play cricket, and then we'll go to the pub and have some fish and chips. Yes, that's, that's bad English accent. Old English is just weird words how our, our, our language evolved. And the word for worship is two words put together, Worth shape, worth shape, worth shape. Think about that. When it comes to worship, what we assign the most, the highest value to, the most worth to, is going to shape us. Worth shape. What would a, a Kip sermon be without quoting Timothy Keller? So I had to throw this one in here. He defines worship this way. He says, ascribing ultimate value, giving ultimate value to an object and engaging, engaging your mind, your heart, and your will. It's using your entire being in an act of assigning worth to something. So we got to be careful what we worth shape. We got to be careful what we assign so much worth to that it shapes us, that it shapes us more than God should shape us. You go to the Ten Commandments, first two commandments. You'll have no God before me and don't make idols. But guys, we're, it's so easy to do that. There are so many good things in life that we, we throw ourselves into. And those things are good things. So many of them are. But when they become the ultimate thing, that's worth shape. That's worship. It can be something as simple as a career. If I don't get that title, if I don't get that position, then I don't have worth. And God's saying, come on, I give you worth. I love you. You don't need that. But we say, no, I've got to have that. Otherwise, I'm going to die. It happens with our kids, our grandkids, our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, significant people in our lives, parents or mentors. It can even be a worthy cause that we throw ourselves behind. And it, it's a good thing, but we get defined by that. And we allow that to shape us and to give us our worth. That's our worth shape. God's saying, don't do that. Don't. Let us draw near to God. Let him shape our worth. So what does this have to do with the gathering? The gathering allows you to refocus your worship. The gathering allows you to refocus your worship to get your shape and your worth from God. So a question for you, what are you allowing to shape your worth? Because when we come in here, guys, it's about God. It's about no one else but Jesus. That's what we do. We focus on Jesus. 
Well, put your thumb in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to come back to it, but I love how Psalm 95, the Psalter, the writer of Psalm 95, talks about worship. And and it's as if God had his church in mind when he inspired this writer a few thousand years ago to say these words. Psalm 95, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and jump to verse 6. It's like he's saying, church, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. We do that here. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. That's Jesus. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him. That means lift him up with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Five times, four verses, he says, let us. It's about doing stuff together. Let us come together and worth shape. Let us come together and worship. Back in 1974, Burger King did this this series of commercials that would actually alter the landscape of advertising for for, for fast food chains, specifically burger joints. And and you boomers will remember this. Uh, A a family of four comes into Burger King. You know, the dad's got the big hair and the leisure suit. And the mom's got like the Austin Powers Fembot hair, the Mary Tyler Moore hair. And and they got these two kids that are just goobers. And they come up and they get to the the counter. They're all excited because they're at Burger King. And the dad said, I want a, a cheeseburger, but here's the thing. I need you to hold the pickles and hold the lettuce. And of course, the lady behind the counter, who's perfect, sings, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us, all you ask is that you let us serve it your way. And so, and the lady, the, the, the wife says, that's awesome. Actually, she doesn't say awesome because they didn't say that. She goes, that's groovy. And she said, okay, so with that, if I come in and I want my cheeseburger, And I don't want onions, but I want extra ketchup. Can you do that? And then she does verse two of this jingle. And at the end, the the husband and the kids walk out. Again, they're just a goober family. They're like, oh, with the big hair and the leisure suits. And, and, And he goes, that's the way it should be. That's how it should be. They know what the consumer wants. They, we ask them for it and they give it to us. And I started thinking about that when I was putting this teaching together because we can be so much like Burger King, you know, have it your way, when we come to church. We can make demands of things that really in the big scheme of things don't matter. We can be about our kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. The music's too loud, the music's too soft. I want hymns, I want contemporary music. The the lights are too bright, I can't worship. The lights are too dim, I can't worship. I'm not gonna go to to Cornwall Church if Pastor Bob's not preaching, I'm going to Christ the King. I'm not going to Christ the King if Grant's not not teaching, I'm going to Cornwall Church. And if neither are teaching, I'm going to North County. And that's what happens. And guys, I I hear them all the time because I'm, you know, this is like my responsibility here. Um, And so I get the complaints and we listen to them. And I'm I'm not saying don't complain. I'm not, hear me on this. There are valid complaints out there. We wanna remove obstacles so you can have an environment that is conducive to worship. But I think we always need to ask ourselves, always need to ask ourselves, is this something that's really important? Because there are some big things that you've come to us with that are really, really important that we weigh heavily when we preach and when we do things here. But what can happen is those things can be excuses why we don't come to church. So there's a guy named Tom Rainier. He's a consultant for a bunch of churches across the country. And back in 2017, uh, he he was doing a presentation for a a church conference. So on his Twitter page, he said, hey, guys, I'm going to do this presentation. Give me, just chime in, 
you know, what, what your excuse is for not going to church. And it blew him away, hundreds upon hundreds of responses. Some of them were the typical ones. You know, the church is full of hypocrites, pastor preaches too long, pastor preaches too, too short, blah, blah, blah. Some of them were really amazing and interesting. So I pulled 10 of them that, and a bonus one that I thought were pretty fun. Here we go. 10, uh, ten reasons and a bonus why uh, people don't attend church. Number one, we were out of peanut butter. Okay, that sounds weird, but it was weird on his, he had hundreds of responses and this peanut butter response kept on showing up. And I didn't know if it was like from the same family. I don't know, but apparently it's a big deal. (laughs) Number two, I was too drunk, so I went out soul winning with my dog Rambo. I can only pray that the dog was sober. Number three, both of my girlfriends attend the same service there. Okay, that can be a big deal, whether it's your girlfriend or boyfriend, we're talking massive fight, not good security. Um, Okay, number four, uh, the worship leader's pants were too skinny. It's distracting. Okay, so I was watching a handful of years ago, I'm watching on, I think it was TBN or, you know, one of these things, I was watching this sermon and the, the pastor was really, really big and he was trying to be really, really hip. And as a really, really big man, he tried to fit into like pants for an 80 pound schoolboy. And, and it looked like five pounds of butter in a two-pound bag. It was distracting. So I get that. Number five, my kids take naps during that time. Okay, for those of you watching online, if your kids are sleeping, bring them, bring them in because they're going to be in good company. We got people asleep here right now. <laughs> Number six, I think my wife was the one that wrote this one in. The pastor is too attractive. When, <laughs> when I see him preaching, I have impure thoughts and I'm distracted. Number seven, we cooked bacon for breakfast and our entire family smelled like bacon. Okay, true story here. Uh, Back in 2011, right before I came on staff here, uh, we would come to the Saturday night service and in the summertime, we'd do barbecues every Saturday. Well, my family and I lived in Korea for several years. We love Korean food. So, you know, we had this Korean barbecue, we had kimchi, we had garlic, we had this Korean meat that was marinated, it was so good. And we got into the car and I'm like, oofta, honey, wow, we smell bad. And she's like, kids, take a breath, mint, we're going to church. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Number eight, the pastor stays in the Bible too much. Sorry. <laughs> Number nine, I couldn't get the lid off the peanut butter. Seriously, <laughs> what, how does peanut butter become an excuse for church? Number 10, we got burned out at church and have been taking a break for the past seven years. Okay, I know seven's kind of a holy number, but holy cow, seven years. All right, this bonus one, I love this one. I just had to throw it in. I'll probably get an email on it. I get hemorrhoids every Sunday, so I can't come to church. Who writes that? And is it like every Sunday? We've got soft chairs here. I'm just saying, for those of you watching online, if you decide to come in on a Sunday and you have hemorrhoids, we're not going to anoint you with oil. We're not going to place hands on you. Ooh, my point is, is all of those things, all of those things are about us. We always need to ask ourselves when it comes to reasons why we don't attend church or why we leave a church, is it a kingdom issue or is it a personal preference issue? Five times, five times the Psalter says, let us, not let me. So back to Hebrews 10. God says, draw near to him with a sincere heart. Draw near to him with a sincere heart. You see, the gathering is about God before it's about us. And we gotta remember that. The gathering's about God before it's about us. So we draw near to him with this sincere heart. 
Hebrews 10, verse 23. Remember, when you miss church, you miss more than you think. And when you show up, God can do amazing things. Here we go. Let us hold unswervingly. Some of your translations say hold fast. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. That's the gospel of Jesus. Bad things made good through Jesus who loves us. That in our jacked uppedness, God steps down into the dirt because he loves us. He takes on our sin. He dies, he's buried, he's resurrected. And because of that, we can have a right relationship with God. Praise God for that. For he who promised, God is faithful. This is all about commitment is what they're talking about here, that we need, need to be committed disciples because being a disciple, a discipleship is about commitment. Everything about discipleship is about commitment. It takes commitment to love God and love others. It takes commitment to have that prayer life. It takes commitment to attend the gathering, to have a part of, of someone else's life in a small group or a quad or a Bible study. It takes commitment to connect with God through scripture daily. It takes commitment to restore hope to the hurting and engage in relationships with people who want nothing to do with Jesus. It's all about commitment. Discipleship is all about commitment. And being committed to the gathering is so important. A handful of years ago when I was down in Skagit as the Skagit pastor, we had a gal just going through such a difficult time. She and her family, it was so hard. And every week they'd be coming in. Every single week they would come in. And finally I talked to her and said, well, I, I'd been talking to her a lot. It's not like I had ignored her. Um, but, but I, I, I talked to her and I said, you know, it is so amazing how you are here every single week. And you don't know how much that means to me as a pastor. And she said, Kip, I couldn't be anywhere else because what happens is I come in here, I, I hear people singing, I hear people just praising God and it takes my mind off of what's going on in my life and reminds me that God is more important than, than what's going on in my life, that he's got me and I got a church group around here who's gonna encourage me and who's going to support me. She got encouragement while she was giving encouragement. That's why she kept on coming to the gathering. That's why she was committed to the gathering. Let's keep on going with this encouragement theme because this is good. Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. Spur one another on. Underline, circle, highlight, stars. That's important. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Okay, we get to geek out and Greek out. You guys know I like to do this because I'm just weird. Spur one another on. The word's a weird word in, in, the Old or in the New Testament. And the reason why I wanted to highlight this because it's only used in one of two ways. Spur one another on. Uh, the word is paraxousmas. You don't have to say it. Paraxousmas means to either spur someone on, to encourage someone in love or incite anger and division. Spur one another on in unity or incite division. And it's so true that especially in a church, in, in the American church, it's just weird to say the American church. The church is the church, but, but each country, each culture kind of has some things that leak into the church. And here in the American church, right now, I've never seen us more divided than ever in at least my life. Our country's more divided than it's ever been since the Civil War, for a lot of reasons. And what God calls on us to do, especially at times like this, is to paraxus mas in love, in good deeds, not in anger and bitterness. 
So last week, I, I talked about forgiveness. You know, I talked about forgiveness, how important it is. I talked about how God commands us to forgive, that we're commanded to forgive no matter what. We have to forgive. Even if the person doesn't say, I'm sorry. When they say, I'm sorry, that's reconciliation we're talking about. This is forgiveness. No matter what, we're called to forgive. And I wanted to wait for the second part for this week. Because when we talk about spurring one another on in love, a really good thing, a second part of this forgiveness thing is this. It's the blessing. Forgiveness and a blessing. Let me give you an example. Pastor Kip was up there preaching. Man, he said something. It's, it's junk. I'm so mad at him. And, and so you get angry and you get angry. And so just forgive. Okay, I forgive Kip. I forgive Kip. It's Kip. He says some things he shouldn't. We know Kip. And then you pray a blessing. God, I, I just, I pray a blessing over Kip. I pray a blessing over his family. I don't know why he said what he did, and, and, and I just want you to, to just shine your light in his heart because he's got some dark places. He's talked about that. Please, God, will you do that? And you can do that for anyone in your life, a forgiveness and a blessing. And here's what happens when you do that, especially for some of the most vile people in your lives. When you do that, all of a sudden that grip the enemy has on your heart is opened. And all of a sudden... You're spurring one another on in love, even if it's just through prayer. But what I've found is that ends up being through reconciliation. And it happens so often in a church where we can get that division. You need to pray for Billy Bob. Let me tell you what's going on in his life. Forgive and bless. That one simple act allows us to sow seeds of love rather than seeds of division. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. Paraxusmas in love. I love that. Keep on going. Verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day, that's judgment day, approaching. Let's talk about this. We, we've got all these let us's here, and God's saying, don't hold the let us. Let us spur each other on. Let us not give up meeting together. This past year of COVID, everyone knows it's been so difficult. It's been so difficult for so many of you, and it's been difficult for us as church leaders. Back last year when, when we got the directive that, that uh, you know, we're doing the shutdown, uh, shutdown completely of everything, we had been doing church online for several years. So we said, hey, we, we can still do church online and we can go ahead and encourage people to meet in their houses, meet in their neighborhoods. There's still a gathering. And what happened was there seemed to be a split in, in especially the American church at that time. A handful of pastors and elders uh, were on their knees and they made the decision that they were going to keep their churches open, that the government couldn't tell them what to do. And I respect them completely for that. They went to God and they did that. I hold nothing against them for that. God bless them. Uh, here at Cornwall Church, our pastors and elders fasted and prayed. We went on our knees and, and we felt God leading us to say, you know what, we're going to set aside our rights to meet for the betterment of others. We felt that Jesus would do that. And, and that's what we chose to do. And here's the thing, it upset a lot of people. We had a lot of people, paraxusmas, in anger and bitterness, and they left the church. And we tried to meet with them. And the ones that we got to meet with, we prayed for them, said, you always have a church home. Please find a place where you can really feel uh, the presence of God and use your spiritual gifts to help others. And many of you stayed. But here's what I think is amazing. And I just wanted to thank you Thank you for those of you who disagreed with what we decided. 
yet you said, I believe God's doing something amazing at Cornwall Church, and I'm going to be part of this church, even though the leadership, I think, made a jacked-up decision. And thank you for that, because that right there is an example of paraxusmas in love. Thank you for that. And guys, we still got some restrictions. Those are going to go away soon. Freak not. They are going to go away soon. Praise Jesus. So where we're at right now is we're allowed to meet. And I want to be very careful and gentle in this. I've had the pastors praying for me over this. Mark Driscoll is a, a pastor who used to be down in Seattle. He tends to yell and scream a lot. He loves God a lot. He's got a lot of passion. And I'm like, I don't want to channel my inner Mark Driscoll on this. So I, I, I've asked the pastors to be praying for me. I want to be gentle about this. And I want to address specifically our online community. We love you guys. We a huge community. You're all around the world. Thank you so much for being part of our church. You are part of Cornwall Church. Now, some of you are watching online because of emotional things that are going on in your life. You simply don't feel comfortable coming back to the auditorium. Some of you have emotional things going on in life where you just don't feel comfortable being in a big crowd yet. That's fine. That, please. Some of you have physical disabilities or physical ailments that keep you from coming back into something like this. That's not who I'm talking to. Many of you have viable, viable reasons, not excuses, but reasons why you can't come back into an auditorium. However, some of you enjoy the convenience of online church. You're able to wake up in the morning. You don't have to brush your teeth. For those of you here, thank you for brushing your teeth. <laughs> but you, don't ha you don't have to brush your teeth. You're in your PJs. You roll out of bed. You click on the sermon. You do stuff while the, or the teaching's going on or the, the service is going on. And I would just encourage you to get off the couch and come back to church. That if you don't have a reason for being at home beyond convenience, maybe God's given you a nudge right now that it's time. And maybe you're somewhere else across the country. Get plugged into a local church. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that we have spiritual gifts. And those gifts are to build up the body. And it's really, really hard to do that online unless you're hosting a watch party. We've got a community site. They host a watch party. It's a church that's happening in Ferndale. It's pretty cool what's going on. So a really amazing pastor I follow is, is a guy named Brian Loritz. He's on the East Coast. He's a teaching pastor of a really big church. And he said these words. He said, you can live stream great worship. You can live stream great teaching and great preaching, but you can't live stream church. What does he mean by that? Let me give you a great example of what that looks like. Right here's a picture of a good friend of mine, Dennis Pacharco. Many of you know Dennis who used to attend the Saturday night service. Dennis, love him dearly. He passed away short, just a, a while back. Uh, Dennis was on our security team. He'd sit right over here every Saturday night. He was a big part of Cornwall Church. He and his wife, Melissa, incredible people. And then Dennis got ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And for those of you who have had to walk with someone or had a loved one, deal with that, or if you're dealing with that right now, it's a horrific disease. And so there came a point in Dennis's, uh, as the, the disease advanced, that, that he, he said, I'm not coming to church anymore. Pastor Bill and I would go over to his house every Monday and hang out with him and Melissa. We called it Mondays with Dennis, kind of like Tuesdays with Maury, but only with Dennis. And Dennis had such a great sense of humor, but he was, he was struggling, and this was, a, this was horrible. This, like it would do for anyone, rocked his world. So we were over there, and he said, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm done. I'm afraid people are going to um, make fun of me. 
promised myself I was going to hold it together on this. So Dennis, we talked him into coming to church. Now, to come to church for Dennis, it was so hard. You talk about having to move a tribe, how long it takes to move a tribe to get to church. When you have ALS, to get from the bed is basically a quadriplegic into the wheelchair, down to the van, out of the wheelchair, back here, back into the wheelchair, and back in here. It's a two-hour ordeal. So they would come to the Saturday night, Saturday night service. They would get in here during run-through because they wanted to have some time to get set up. We'd set them up in the back of the auditorium. Dennis had an amazing wheelchair. It went from zero to eight miles an hour in like 10 minutes. And so he'd come through the doors and, and he loved NASCAR and he'd have on that hat and, and he'd, he'd push the wheelchair as hard as he could. He wanted to see if he could, how, how close he could get to the wall without stopping and ramming into the wall. And so he did that, but here's the, the thing that was, that was amazing. He couldn't worship. He couldn't hold his hands up anymore. So what he would do is we, he'd be back there in the back and, and during the music, he'd, he had this little switch and he'd start clicking his lights on. And so when it was a song and he loved Ron and Sarah and the music that they would, they would play and if it's this upbeat song, he had a way to raise his wheelchair and all of a sudden he'd click on the lights and the lights are just going fast. That was him praising Jesus. It was so cool. Whenever I'd preach, he liked to mess with me, so I'd be walking, and you guys know how I do. I walk all over the place, and when I'd look back in the corner, he knows that I'm ADHD. It's kind of like, oh, squirrel, whoa. And he'd click on his lights every time I'd look over there so he could screw me up. And if he screwed me up, I'd, like, give him a dollar. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing about Dennis. At his funeral, I had so many people coming up saying, Kip, you don't know how Dennis and Melissa, his wife Melissa, just a hero, a hero of faith, Dennis and Melissa encouraged me so much. I was going through such a difficult time. And I would get to go over and just hug him or I get to go over and just pray with him. And you don't know what God did for me through Dennis in those times. You can't live stream that. You can't. You can live stream great teaching and preaching. You can live stream incredible music. And please hear my heart, those of you watching online. We love that you're part of our online community and for those of you who can't join us online for whatever reason, thank you for, or can't join us in person, thank you for joining us online. But for those of you who can, you're missing something when you miss this. It's simply amazing what happens here, isn't it? And here's what we promise you, thank you. Here's what we, we promise you here at Cornwall Church solid biblical preaching and teaching. And it may not be what you want us to preach and teach on. It may not be the flair of the week, the, the current event of the week. Sometimes we will stop a, a, a series and preach on something that's going on. We take very seriously what we say from here and we take your input. Thank you for that. But we pray about it and we speak what God leads us to speak. You're gonna get amazing worship from our worship team. Uh, uh, simply amazing how they draw us closer to Jesus because it's all about him. You're gonna have a welcoming environment. You're gonna get paraxus must in love and good deeds, not anger and bitterness. We get to worship God together. How cool is that? We get to worth shape. The maker of heaven and earth as he shapes us and gives us our value. Here at Cornwall Church, our vision is straight up. We, we wanna glorify God by altering the spiritual landscape one life at a time through Jesus. We do it in three primary ways. 
First way is through our go and be ministry, where we go and be the hands and feet of Jesus outside these walls, where we go in love and be a light. It's the niche of Cornwall Church. We feel that if Cornwall Church is taken out of of Whatcom or Skagit County, there's going to be a gaping hole of pain. We've got to make a difference in the name of Jesus. The second pillar is our community life pillar. That's through our discipleship groups, our quads, our small groups, our community groups. Pastor Brian's going to be talking about that next week. And then last but not least is this. We call it come and see. Come and see what God's doing right here. It happens in Explorers League, Edge, Encounter, The Table. All of our different ministries that meet here in the building. We want you to be part of that. Come and see. Come and be part of that. And as I close today, I want to give you a challenge. And that challenge is a 90-day challenge. We want you to come here every week, either online, join us online, join us in person, kind of a mixture of both, but for the next 90 days, say, I'm not going to miss a week without worshiping the great God with all of my friends and family members, brothers and sisters, even strangers at Cornwall Church. God's on the move, guys. He's on the move right here and right now, but you're going to miss out when you miss church. You're going to be encouraged greatly. Paraxus mas, in love and good deeds when you show up.